in this space. Uh, my name is Mark Cummins, and I'm the pastor at Church of Hope. And if you're a regular attender, welcome. So glad that week after week we join together in this space. And if by chance this is your first time, I'm really glad that we're beginning our friendship today. Now understand that this broadcast literally goes around the world for free. See, we believe that life's at its best when people discover hope in Christ. There are people who give generously so this broadcast can be reached across every continent. If you've never given, I would invite you today to give. You can go to our webpage, hopeinocala.com, and drop down on the giving bar and give a one-time gift. Or you can give generously beyond just today. And if God's blessed you, help us as we give hope around the world. But for now, I want you to open up your heart and your mind. Let Jesus speak to you because what I believe is that when we open up our minds and let Jesus speak to us, life doesn't become perfect and all the problems don't go away, but you experience his presence in you, with you, and for you. Open up your heart. Let Jesus speak to you today. Peace. Priscilla, it is our honor to have you with us here today at Church of Hope to share your story, your journey. And you know, many of us, we might know you as Pastor Mark shared from the community, but if you are meeting a new friend here at Church of Hope today, just take a moment and introduce who is Priscilla Jones? Yes, it's an honor to be here. Good morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Priscilla Jones. I'm not a native from Ocala, but I feel like I am. I've been here for over 20 years. My husband and I moved down when our first child was very young, and um, we have four children. And I left a, a corporate job at the time to be at home with my kids, but I really liked to work. So I landed at the YMCA and was there for about 12 to 13 years. And my husband, who is the true athlete, found CrossFit and he said, I love it, let's start one for families. And I said, okay. And so we uh, began that adventure in 2014. Um, and did that for about eight or nine years. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about me. No, thank you so much. And you know, Pastor Mark shared that he had the privilege of hearing your story recently at the Faithfully Guided Foundation Gala. And he mentioned that it really changed him, the words that you shared. It, it, it was a marked moment. And I can attest to that because literally when he left that gala, he texted me, Emily, you've got to hear Priscilla's story. And then Church of Hope needs to hear her story, her journey. And so then you and I met for coffee. And as I heard your story, I couldn't help but be inspired and encouraged. And right now, I just want you to take some time and unpack the journey that you're on, your story. Okay, yes, so this is my story, right? But God is working in all of you and writing your story as well. So hopefully some of the things that I say maybe will resonate with you. Um, I became a believer when I was 19. So I've been walking with the Lord for a while and 
uh, will pick up my story a little over a year ago. I was in a pretty, pretty tough place at that time. Like I mentioned, my husband and I had started a CrossFit gym. Um, he too was a Christian in college. And so we went into this with the idea that we love health and fitness, but we love the Lord too. And maybe this will be an opportunity to do both. And the, the way that the years unpacked and I'm sure some of you can relate, um, our children were growing and requiring more and more of us. And we were also running a business that was very relationship um, centered that was requiring more and more of us. And over that time, it really separated the two of us. So, so much so that a little over a year ago, we were physically separated. And our older children, we have four, but the older three are very close in age. They had grown and COVID had, um, you know, passed and they all were in college. So I am running our business by myself. I am living on my own. Our older three children are no longer here and I'm getting up early um, to be there and I'm staying late to run the business. That's the kind of business that it is. And I just remember that I got really sick and it was, think, excuse me, it was July 4th weekend. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I've just overdone it, dehydrated, didn't take care of myself like I should, ate too much fatty food. Um, and so I began to turn jaundice and I had a, a very sharp pain in my abdomen and I had had my gallbladder removed about 15 years ago. So I figured, well, you know, something's going on with that. I don't know what. So I went in to be seen. And they did a scan and they said, you have a tumor on your pancreas and it's blocking your biliary duct and that's why you're jaundice. So we need to put a stent in and open that up and let your liver heal and then probably do a surgery. So they sent me off to a surgeon who took a look at my scan and he said, yep, this definitely, we've got a tumor there. It looks pretty clear. We're gonna do a biopsy, which they did and it came back benign. And they said, well, we can put this stent in, but we're gonna have to do a surgery. And if you're not familiar um, in this area of the body, they do what's called a Whipple surgery. And in a Whipple, they remove a piece of your pancreas. They take your duodenum, which is the first part of your intestine, and a little bit of your stomach, and they basically restructure you back and put you back together. It's like a six-hour surgery. So you can imagine I'm sitting in the office thinking, well, I'm running a gym, and I exercise, and you know, take care of myself, and now I'm going to have to go through this pretty dramatic surgery and be gone for a while. So that was really hard for me to accept along with everything else that was going on in my life. But, you know, I, of course, I agreed to do this, um, being as sick as I was. And so, you know, I had the surgery done um, and I remember sitting in the ICU and the doctors coming in and saying the surgery was a success. We were able to take out your tumor, but unfortunately it has cancer in it. And we were able to completely remove it. So that's definitely a positive, but we, we encourage you to go on and to do chemotherapy as an insurance policy because it is pancreatic cancer. 
And so, again, you know, trying to absorb this news that has come to me that I'm not going to be returning to my gym in six weeks, but in, in essence going to be on a six-month journey of trying to um, basically battle this. And at the same time, my father also had turned jaundice, and I have one sister. And so my parents live in North Alabama, and my mom um, was with my dad, and he was diagnosed with stage four biliary duct cancer, was doing chemo. And then my sister came and stayed with me, and I was doing chemo in Florida. And it was a very difficult time, as you can imagine, for our family um, trying to manage that. And I will say that the chemo was pretty brutal. The one that they put me on is I mean, I don't know how they rank, I'm not that experienced, but I know the one I was on was pretty, it was pretty difficult. Um, and so you basically, you know, mindset wise, you, you know, I had, I had been walking with the Lord for a long time. I knew that this didn't happen out of the blue, right? So we start having a conversation, Lord, what is this about? Why is this happening? How is this going to, to, to pan out? Um, and then just a tenacity of, I just need to get through it, right? I just need to show up again. I just need to do the next treatment. Um, and my father, unfortunately, did not do well with the chemo and he passed in December. And I kept chugging along through mine and made it through February of this year and completed as many of the rounds as I could um, until I couldn't do any more, which is, uh, in, in this case, I completed 10 of the 12 rounds that they had asked me to do. And they scanned me and everything came back clear. And so I felt very grateful that I had no evidence of disease and kind of took a big breath, you know, to, to sigh like it had been six months of a very difficult life going from running the show um, with my family and my business to being able to not really take care of myself at all. And so I knew because it was pancreatic cancer that I wasn't off the hook. It might have said that there wasn't anything they could see, but I still felt like I need to build my immune system. This might come back. I need to uh, focus on my diet. This whole time, um, my husband and I had been separated. And so after chemo, it was kind of like I had a new chapter of life. I had sold the gym, so I didn't have that piece any longer. I didn't have any of my older kids. Um, it was just me. And I began really praying about my marriage. I was really struggling uh, with that in regards to what, what do I do? Like, what do we do with this? Um, I don't see us reconciling at this point. I don't want to be divorced. I know God hates divorce. I hate divorce. I see what it does. And it, it's just um, very, very difficult. And so I was wrestling in this period of time, like, what do I do next? And what does my life look like? Um, and so I just said, uh, finally made the decision to move forward with the lawyers and to go ahead and start the divorce process. And, and, to, and I got on a, a pretty strict diet and I changed professions. So there was a lot of life change that happened. Um, and through that process with the divorce, um, my husband reached out to me out of the blue and said, I don't want to to be like this. I don't want to be fighting with you. I don't want to be, I don't want to be divorced. And I just remember being shocked 
and a little embarrassed because I had moved forward and I didn't realize that God had been at work. And I remember talking to him and him saying, uh, him being God saying, Priscilla, I've been working this whole time. You just haven't seen it. And so that was just a real, um, it was a great moment for my relationship with the Lord. We've been through, I mean, walking with him for a long time, um, but that was just a real um, highlight of who he is and how he works. And so I just wanna encourage those of you that you've been praying about something, a situation, a relationship that just you don't see any change or any, you know, any glimmer of hope. I would just want you to know that God is at work and he's always at work. And even though we may not be able to see it, to, to share with you that he is working in his time and his way and to not give up on that. And so he and I began to reconcile and I can remember that my six-month scan had come up, which if you're not familiar with cancer, that's how they monitor you. Um, you have a few blood tests that they'll take, and then they'll do some scans or a scan. And based on that, they'll be able to you know, tell you how, how you're doing. And if you've ever been through that process, it's, it's a little emotional because you get a little anxious about it. And you wonder if you just haven't been knowing about something that's been happening, and now all of a sudden you're going to find out. And so that that's... You know, you know, the time had come for me to do that. And so I can recall the day um, that I started getting the test results back. I was able to look on my phone. I can remember um, they, I had already talked with my doctor. I'm like, okay, what are, what are we looking at here? Because I kind of want to know what to expect. And we had talked through the numbers. And he said, well, this particular test, it's called a CA-199. It's just the cancer antigen marker they use for pancreatic cancer. Um, that a normal rate, normal number would be 35 or below. If it's you know 40 or 50, something there could be some you know inflammation that might cause that. But if it's over 100, we pretty much know that the cancer is back. And I remember looking at my phone when I got the result, and it said 130.8. And I took a deep breath and I said, curse word. Because <laughs> I feel like there are times in your life where a curse word is appropriate. <laughs> and I felt like that was one of them. Um, and I just remember feeling this weight on me and my ears burning and my cheeks, you know, flushing up. And I remember I was, I was going through a Bible study called Experiencing God. If you're not familiar with it, it's a classic study written in the 90s by a gentleman named Henry Blackaby. And the week that I was on was called Crisis of Belief. And in the study, he goes through how God works and teaches you some things about it. It's an amazing study. And one of the concepts is that when God invites us to do something that only he can invite us to do, we reach a crisis of belief. Like, is that what you're really asking me? Are you who I thought you were? Are we who, you know, our relationship, what I thought it was? And in the study, it said, when you reach this crisis of belief, whatever you do next determines what you believe about God. And I remember looking at the result, thinking about you know, that, that sentence just really popped in my brain. What I did next was gonna determine what I believed about God. And I remember him saying to me, like a father does to a child that's upset, Priscilla, look at me. 
I need you to look at me. And if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. When you have a child that's freaking out, you just want to get their attention, right? To get them to look you in the eye so you can calm them down. And I remember him saying, look at me. And then I remember him saying, do you trust me? And I remember pausing and hesitating because this is a big deal. And then I said, yes, yes, I trust you. I trust you, Lord, okay. And he said, I need you to trust me on this. This is going to be a battle. It's not gonna be your last one, but I need you to trust me. And I remember that moment of feeling like I had surrendered this path that I did not want before me. And I remember um, having a good cry about it and then thinking, okay, well, what, what do we do next? Like, I can stay in the corner and cry, or we can get up and we, you know, I didn't come this far um, to do that and to stay over there. So what does this look like? So, you know, I've got my husband and I are reconciling. It's been two weeks, and I find out that I, you know, the cancer is back, and that prompts a series of consultations and medical, you know, um, meetings, and you know, a trip to the oncologist to verify with a CT scan that my that the cancer had moved to my liver. And the radiologist basically said, if you were to take a, a handful of marbles and throw them in your liver, that's what your liver looks like. And um, it all feeling very uh, surreal that here we go. And I recall that I went to God and I said, Lord, I don't understand because I know you and I know that you could heal me like that. Like it is not a question but you've chosen not to. You have allowed this to happen for your good purposes. And I think that's where that crisis of belief is for us. When we encounter something that we don't want or that we think should be different, or we think what good is in what we're receiving, we would not put in the good category, that that forces us to say, God, are you really who you say you are? I've agreed, we've, you know, I have this relationship with you, I'm following you. Is this really what you want? Is this really good? And we wrestle with that. And he invites us to wrestle with him because he, he knows um, what his will is. He already knows what the outcome is. He already knows what his, what's going to happen even though we don't. And then it becomes a, a real walk of not just everything's going well, but when things aren't going well, what do I do? And so that is basically mm -hmm. kind of where I was in that story. I mean, thank you for sharing your story and your journey with us and unpacking where you're at in this crisis of belief and that God invites us to wrestle with him. And as you unpacked all of this for me that day at the coffee shop, you referenced a specific story in the Bible with David and Goliath. And if you're not familiar with the story, David is a shepherd boy, and he goes and meets his brothers, the entire Israelite army, in the Valley of Elah, where they are fighting against this giant. And, well, not fighting against. The Israelites are scared. Nobody wants to fight him. So this shepherd boy shows up on the scene, willing and ready to fight. And I'll let you pick up the story from there. And I want you to share what you read, how that impacted you, and then now how you're applying it to this battle, this giant in front of you now. 
Yes, and if you haven't, if you haven't gone back and read David and Goliath in a while, I encourage you to go back and read it. First Samuel 17, there's some great details in there that um, just jump out and it's great to be refreshed. But yes, I was thinking about, okay, here I am. It's a rocky road in front of me, a really rocky road. I don't know what's gonna happen. And the story of David really came to my mind how David had already fought the lion and the bear prior to coming to Goliath. This wasn't David's first battle. And I remember thinking, well, I'm not a baby Christian any longer. I've been walking for a while. This can't be my first battle. So the question is, God, what have you already done? What has been my bear? What has been my lion to prepare me for what I am facing now? And in the story with David, um, if you're familiar with it, Saul tries, King Saul tries to prepare David in the way that he thinks is best. He puts on his coat of armor on him. He gives him his tunic. He gives him his sword. And David is totally out of his element. He doesn't feel comfortable in what has been put on him. And so he tells the, the king, he said, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't wear this because I'm not familiar with it. And then he goes out to the stream and he gets five smooth stones and that is what he equips himself with. And so I think it behooves us to, when we are at this place, to ask, Lord, what is it that you have done specifically for me that has prepared me for where I am now? What ammo have you given me to stay in my own element? Not to necessarily do what someone else has recommended or what is the best way or maybe the, the standard way, but how have you already shown me how you have shown up and prepared me for this? And so I approached God that way with what I was facing. And one of the first things that came to mind was um, God's word. I love God's word. I love reading it. I love memorizing it. And it's truth that will be here yesterday, today, and, and tomorrow. It says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain. Well, if, if you can imagine this earth passing away, you want to hold on to the thing that remains. And the thing that remains is his word. And so for me, I was like, that's a no brainer. Like, I want to know your word and I want to know it so well that I can grab a hold on it, on it because it's my anchor. It's what fights back the darkness. It's what, this is just as much of a psychological and a, a spiritual battle for me as it is a physical battle to be able to know who I am in you, what your plan is, um, and, and you know, how this is all going to, to unravel. I don't know. I don't really know, but I do know where I'm going. I do know who you are and I do know who I am in you. And so my friends, of course, my friends wanted to be and my family. What can we do? How can we help? And I'd say, send me scripture. Like that's ammo for me. Like a smooth stone is God's word for me because I can use that to be able to remind myself who I am, where, you know, where I'm going and what truth is. Um, secondly, for me is that I had been, not really, you know, thinking in my mind, oh, I'm doing all this to prepare for cancer, but I had been two decades or more in health and fitness. So I knew what kind of, how to eat, what I needed to eat. I knew what I needed to drink. I had this coach mentality, which some days I really needed that. I was coaching myself, like, Priscilla, you need to get up. Priscilla, you've got to go drink. Priscilla, you've got to go eat. Like, we get to a very basic level when you're going through chemo because your body just is trying to handle it all. 
that I was having to use the very skill set that I was using to motivate my my clients and my members, I was using that for myself. And I hadn't really, you know, given that any thought with this, spe this specific battle in mind. And I think that there are things that you could say in your own life that you have been honing skills um, that you didn't really realize that perhaps those are being honed for the specific reason of what you're doing, what you're dealing with right now, or what God may have for you in the future. And so I think it's, again, it behooves us to, to reflect and say, God, what have you been working on in me so that this can be a piece of what I need for the future. And then lastly for me was the community of relationships that I had. So when I was separated from my husband and I wasn't working, it gave me the time to develop some of those relationships that I'd frankly neglected over the years. And it doesn't happen on purpose, but I think when life just happens, there's just a lot coming at you. And if you have, you've been raising families and different jobs, you can relate to this. You know, sometimes you're just trying to get through the day and you're just trying to get through the week and you're just trying to manage what we need to manage for that time right then and there. And so I hadn't had taken the time to really uh, develop the the support network that I, I mean, again at the time I didn't realize that I need but I need it now because they are the ones that reach out to me they're the ones that help me uh, be able to do this as a team effort for sure not just me uh, alone in this and so those three things really were my lions and my bears that help prepare me for this battle and I think it's good for us to know that not only to see hey God has been working like a spiritual marker in your life. The Israelites would have stones, if you read in the Old Testament, when God would do something amazing, they'd make an altar for him, or they'd have a stone, and they did that so that we could remember physically, visually, remember what God had, had done, and maybe what we have now aren't physical stones, but they're still there. There's still spiritual markers in our lives, things that God has done specifically in your life that have been in your past um, to show up and to... And, to show himself and to know those, I think is really important, not only just to praise him for it and to recognize that he did show up, but also to have those and be more aware of those moving forward so that you can say, ah, that's where you're working, God. Oh, I see that you're, you're speaking through that or this circumstance or that person or your word or through my prayer, the ways that he speaks to us to be able to utilize that. Yeah, so it was a really good story for me to grab mm -hmm. a hold of and apply it mm -hmm. to my current situation. Yeah. And what a powerful question that you've really equipped us with today, because we're all fighting a different battle. And to look back and ask, okay, God, how have you prepared me for this giant that's in front of me right now? And he has prepared each and every one of us. And one of those stones of preparation that you shared is God's word. And so I would love to just hear what are a couple truths, verses from the Bible that you're standing on that we can stand on as well? Yeah, I mean, one of my um, lifelong verses that I love is 2 Timothy 1.7 that talks about we do not have a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and self-control. I just love just the power of that verse to remind us that for those of us that have made the decision to follow after Christ, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That power that resurrected Jesus from the grave is in us. It is a spirit of power, but it is a spirit 
spirit of love and of self-control. And so just, I feel like that verse encompasses all of those, those pieces um, that remind us that we, this life is temporary, mm-hmm. right? And that there is an eternal destination for each of us. Um, and so having that, that verse, just a remind about you know, the Holy Spirit and what he does, just was, has always been very meaningful yeah. to me. For this particular season, Psalm 91 has been just my go-to Psalm, mm-hmm. particularly when I was going through chemo. I love at the beginning how it says, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and the deadly pestilence. I love the word surely, like it's not even a doubt that God, um, you know, he is more than able, like we sang, he is more than able to do that. And I really grabbed a hold of that verse and it it brought me strength at a time when I did not feel strong at all. Uh, And also in that verse, it talks about how his wings cover you, his feathers are overused, that sense of protection, as well as his faithfulness being my shield and my rampart. I think sometimes we think we have to be our shield and our rampart and what we do what we do matters, but it's not what ultimately matters. It is God's faithfulness that defends us, that protects us, that grounds us. And so I think that that relieves a lot of pressure off of us. Sometimes we feel that like I've got to be somebody. I've got to do something. We live in a culture that, you know, don't just sit there, do something. And that is very different than what God tells us. He tells us to wait. He tells us to listen. He tells us, this is my battle that I am fighting. And so again, just another reminder in that Psalm for me to remember, Lord, your, your shield, your, excuse me, my protection mm-hmm. is your faithfulness, not what I am doing. Although what I do does matter, right? What we do does matter, but it is ultimately yours. Yeah. And then lastly, I love Romans 12. It's always been a favorite chapter of mine. Um, And it ends with this very powerful verse that says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And I just love that it goes from a defense to an offense in like one verse. That yes, we we should be ready to face evil, and maybe we don't call it that so much, maybe we just say life happens um, or something like that, but yes, we will be facing evil in this world, there's no doubt about it, and then it encourages not just to be ready for it, but to take the offensive step. And we do that by doing good. And sometimes good is very noble and very self-sacrificing, but sometimes good is very mundane and very easy. Like sometimes for me in my situation, good just meant I needed to go for a walk or I needed to reach out to a friend and say, I'm in a bad place, or I needed to just get up and eat. There's nothing special or flashy about that. So sometimes we have this idea that good is, you know, with a cape on and we're superheroes, Um, but sometimes good is doing very small things that push darkness back. Um, being in prayer, reading our, you know, reading God's word uh, can be somewhat not flashy and mundane. Um, Or, yeah, but 
ultimately, it is the good that will overcome over time. And so again, I just love that verse. Uh, you know, when I sat in the oncologist's office and we had the discussion, the hard discussion about how my staging of the cancer had changed and that I was now stage four because it had moved. I remember reading others that had been in my, my seat, my chair, so to speak, saying that it feels like they're telling you that you're in a slow car crash that you can't avoid. And there is some truth to that because I don't know what the outcome is. I'm not in remission. I'm going through treatment right now. But the reality is that we're all in a car crash that's going to happen. None of us escapes this life without dying. And we can't take what we have here with us. Um, I know where I am going. That has already been decided how and when and what it looks like is the unknown for all of us. And so I would say if you're sitting out there and you're listening to my story and you know, you're, you know, that's not me and I don't have cancer and I'm really sorry for her, but um, you know, I've got other things that I'm worrying about. I want you to know that you're in the car crash too. And if you don't realize that, that you have a worse diagnosis than what I have. And I just hope that something that I've said today resonates with you because we don't know when that car crash is happening, but it's happening. And the good news is that this isn't where it ends and you get to decide what happens afterward. There is an eternity for all of us and you get to choose what that eternity is gonna look like. That is the power and the freedom of being here in this life, even though there's so much of it we can't control. And so my encouragement to you is to wrestle with God. If you're at a crisis of belief um, and just to be real with him, he is a real God who wants to have a real and intimate relationship with you. And it is quite the adventure um, when you follow Christ and you know where you're going, even if you don't know all the steps in between. So thank you for letting me share my story with you this morning. Um, thank you, Emily. No, thank you. And I actually have a gift for you. Mm -hmm. So you talked about the story of David and Goliath. And this past summer, I actually was standing in the Valley of Elah where he picked up those stones and threw them at the giant in front of him. And this is actually a pouch of stones from the Valley of Elah, um, from our mission partners, Fellowship of Israel Related Ministries. So from the land of Israel, from that valley to you as a reminder Thanks. of the stones that you have. God's prepared you. Thank you. Thank you. Being together in this space today is really good. If you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, I'd like to invite you today to start following Jesus. It's not about your behavior. It's not about your church attendance. It's about the reality that Jesus is for you. God's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. Would you right now pray this prayer with me? Hey God, it's me. 
I've sinned and I know it and I can't fix me. But today I receive you, Jesus, as my savior. I believe that you died on that cross for me and that you were buried for three days and then you became alive again. And I invite you into my life to guide me and direct me all the rest of the days of my life. And with that prayer, my friend, welcome to God's family. I'd like to continue our friendship. If you would email me, pastor at hopeinocala.com. I'll follow up with you and together we'll celebrate Jesus in your life. Peace.